You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. Let's try that again. That was like three people. Good morning. Everybody get a seat. I promise we are in the process of uh, getting a larger facility, and so I've been acting as like a contractor on the side for the church, and I'm very glad that I'm a pastor and not a contractor. I figured out that's like a hurry up and wait game, like you're at everybody else's mercy, and so uh, thank you for being flexible, and thanks for for cramming in. And so uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Matthew chapter 28 with me this morning, Matthew chapter 28, and I just want to give you a heads up. Um, Every week, as you know, if you've been here, we're going to preach out of this Bible, right? And sometimes a message will be what we call a come and live message. And everyone's going to leave refreshed and encouraged and in a good mood. And then there's also these messages we call go and die messages. And so this isn't a come and live message, uh, which means, right, it's, it's a go and die. And so um, the good news is this. Uh, we don't believe church is just a hobby, just something we do. Uh, we really want to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. Um, and what that means then is as one of your pastors, um, I am committed to, to not calling you to more than Jesus calls you to, but also not calling you to less than he calls you to. And so tonight, or this morning, as we actually dive into some fairly heavy stuff, just know I'm the messenger, okay? So don't shoot the messenger. Uh, I'm just here communicating something to you that Jesus has communicated thousands of years earlier, okay? And so, um, hey, if you are a guest, if you're not yet connected to our church, it's your first time, or maybe you haven't been here very long, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, my heart is that you will hear from Jesus today. Uh, He is the good news that all of us needs, and even whenever he calls us to hard truths like he's going to today, there's always life on the other side of it, and our hope is that you will experience uh, life, that you will go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family, Um, within our church. And so if you want to learn more about us, you can get connected a couple different ways. You can grab a connect card on the way out, fill out uh, that information, and give it to me. I'll connect with you on your terms, I promise, not our terms. Um, Or if you want to get more information um, through our website, that's fellowshipparagold.com. Or you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash fellowshipparagold. You can connect with us that way, all right? And so again, good to see everyone. Matthew chapter 28 is where we are going to launch out of this morning. We're going to start in verse 18, and we'll uh, put it on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come and to sit under the teaching of your word. I thank you for changing my life personally and continuing to do so. And I pray that now through the power of your spirit that you will do the same in the lives of each person that is here today. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you, um, have you ever been in the presence of someone who just appears to be larger than life? Um, someone who just by their presence alone just kind of demands respect and your absolute attention? Anybody ever been around someone like that? 
I'll never forget a time that I was around Dr. Albert Moeller Jr., um, actually in his home. Now, for some of you, you don't know who Dr. Moeller is, so let me just give you a quick bio. Dr. Moeller serves as the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is where I went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's been recognized by Time Magazine and Christianity Today as a leader among American evangelicals. He has been quoted in the nation's leading newspapers like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Washington Post, the Atlanta Journal, the Dallas Morning News, and he has appeared in all sorts of national news programs such as Larry King Live, NBC's Today Show, Good Morning America, Scarborough Country, and The O'Reilly Factor. In fact, if you go to iTunes today and you Google uh, top Christian podcast, he'll be like in the top five with his podcast. And so needless to say, Dr. Moeller is a pretty big deal. And the only reason that I found myself in his home having a one-on-one conversation with him in Louisville, Kentucky, was because earlier that day, his son, Christopher Moeller, was at the uh, pool that I was a lifeguard at. He overheard me talking about going to the new Bass Pro Shop in Indiana about 30 minutes away. And he came up to me and he said, uh, hey, do you care if I go with you to, to the Bass Pro Shop? And uh, I barely knew him. I never even talked to him up to this point. He's like 13 years old. And I was like, um, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like maybe you should call your dad and check with him, you know, the president. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So he gets my cell phone. He calls his dad. And to my surprise, his dad said, Sure, like you can go with him, but just I want to meet this Jared guy before you take off to Indiana. And so I hop in a car, right, with Christopher. We drive to the Moeller Mansion, and I kid you not, this is a Saturday around like 7 p.m. I pull up to his house, and Dr. Moeller on a Saturday night is waxing his speedboat in a pair of khakis and a white button-up shirt tucked in. All right, and like so this is kind of this guy. So we walk up. And he begins to talk to me about all sorts of stuff. And I'll be honest, like it was way over my head. Like I had no idea what he was talking about. But there was one thing, there was one thing I was crystal clear on. And it was this, that he said, if you were going to take my son all the way to Indiana, I want you to make sure that you keep an eye on him at all times. Okay, I want you to make sure that you watch him carefully. And so as you can imagine, right, as I take off to Louisville with the president, I mean to um, Indiana with the president's son, I'm like, I'm keeping an eye on him, right? I mean, I'm watching him like a hawk. Like, when we go to Chick-fil-A, like, I'm making sure he doesn't choke on a chicken nugget, right? Like, whenever, like, we drive on the highway, it's like I'm screaming at people that are going five over the speed limit. Like, I got the president's son in here, right? Like, slow down. And when we get to Bass Pro Shop, my original plan that night was just to take a leisurely stroll through it, right? Just kind of doing my own thing, walking at my own speed, just enjoying the sights. But that obviously changed. Because rather than just, right, going through and just kind of looking... At my own speed, things changed because I had been entrusted with a very important mission from a very important man, and I wanted to make sure that I did exactly what he had asked me to do. Make sense? I think you would have done the same thing. Now, here's why I share that. As we come to Matthew 28, we find a figure that is much larger than Dr. Al Mohler, much more important. And we find that he entrusts with you and me a mission that is much more important than the mission that I was entrusted with that day in Louisville. If you look again with me in Matthew 28, and you look starting in verse 18, Jesus appears to his disciples, and look what he says to them. In verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just for the record, it shouldn't matter what he says after that. We probably should do it. Would you agree? All authority. I mean, who says that, right? If I came up here and said, all right, everybody shut up and listen. All authority has been given to me. You're going to be like, I'm out of here. You're weird, right? Like, 
But Jesus, he says, all authority has been given to me. And look what he says next. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have taught you. Now, I know for many of you, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this before, but again, picture this moment. You are a disciple, and you are standing in front of somebody that just got up out of a grave. Like, you know now, like, this is God in the flesh. And he says, hey, I have authority over every single molecule on the universe. I have authority over angels. I have authority over demons. I have authority over the planets. I have authority over the water. I have authority over all things. And now, before I go back to be with my Father in heaven, I'm telling you, church, this is what I want you to do. You ready? Go and make disciples. Now, if we believe that, There is but one response today, and it is this. If we are going to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be, we must be a church that is committed to go and make disciples. But the question is, before we can do this, what exactly is a disciple? What is a a disciple? And one thing I want you to know is when we look in the scripture, a disciple is not like a varsity Christian. When you look in the New Testament, the word Christian appears three times. The word disciple appears 269 times. And the reason why, because in the New Testament, the word disciple is simply there to describe a regular, everyday Christ follower. And the reason this is important for us to get today is because in our culture, we have separated the idea. We said that that it's possible to be a Christian, but to not be a disciple. When we think about a Christian in our culture, we've kind of created this category where it's like, um, are you Buddhist, are you Muslim, or are you Christian? Just check one. Right? Are, are you Republican, are you Democrat? Just check one. Right? Are, are, you, are, you, are you black, are you Caucasian? Like, what are you? Just check one. Right? We've made it this category, kind of this catch-all category that is completely separate from what it means to be a disciple. But the problem is, whenever you look in Scripture, guys, is look, according to the truth in the Bible, listen, you cannot be a disciple if you are, or you cannot be a Christian, rather, sorry, You cannot be a Christian if you are not a disciple. You cannot be a Christian if you are not a disciple. So again, what does it mean to be a disciple? And I think in order to to answer this, we need to look in Luke chapter 5. So if you flip over, hold your spot in Matthew 28. Luke chapter 5. This is a a moment where Jesus called his very first disciples to follow him. And it's going to give us a good handle as to what it means to be a disciple. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit further from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, listen, man, we've toiled all night and it took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking They signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. (laughs) But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And don't miss verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, look at this, they left everything and followed Jesus. First thing you need to know this morning is this. A true disciple is someone who is willing to submit all of life to Jesus. A, a true disciple of Christ, whenever they see Jesus as he really is, says, I am willing to give up anything in order to be with him. I mean, that's what we see right here in the scripture, isn't it? In, in verse 11, again, what does it say? That they left everything and followed him. I want you to just think about for a minute what that must mean. I mean, these people, in order to follow Jesus, left their comforts. I mean, these people left everything that was familiar and certain. Right? I mean, Jesus didn't ever say, hey, this is exactly where we're going. He just said, follow me. And I think that's important for a disciple. The disciple doesn't always know where they're going, but they know who they're going with. And for them, that was enough. We are going with Jesus, and we are willing to leave everything behind. I mean, they left their careers. They left their possessions. I mean, one of them had a boat. Anybody in here have a boat? Not many of us, probably. And these guys had boats. They left them behind. They left family, and they left friends in order to be with Jesus. And guys, we need to think about this. How much different is this than what our culture teaches Christianity is? I, I mean, our culture says, promote yourself. Treat yourself. Think first about yourself. Then Jesus comes on the scene and says, die to yourself. You want to follow me? You must be willing to let go of these things. And again, this is so much different than what some of you have heard growing up in the religious South. Some of you have heard this message where someone stands up like this, probably in a suit and tie, and says, hey, you want to be a Christian? Here's what you do. You pray this prayer. Just pray this prayer. That's it. It doesn't matter what happens beyond that. Just pray a prayer or sign this card. Right? Maybe go to a church service every now and then, and then when you die, you'll go to heaven rather than going to hell. That sounds good, but listen, guys, like never in Scripture do we see that's what it means to be a Christian, ever. What we see according to the Scripture is that you cannot be a Christian if you are not a disciple. And a disciple we see here is someone who says, I'm willing to submit all of life to Jesus. I'm willing to give up everything in order to be where he is. A disciple is not just someone who says, I'm going to submit Sunday mornings to him. A disciple is not someone who just says, okay, I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes a day. I'll submit that to him. But a disciple is one who has seen Jesus as he really is and says, man, Jesus, I value you more than anything else and I'm willing to give up whatever I need to in order to be where you are. Like, that's how love works, isn't it? I remember whenever I met my wife when she came in to the buckle um, to buy a pair of jeans from me, right? That's how we met. And uh, when she walked out, I told, and I know you guys have heard this story many times before, but that's okay. Like, that's why I have the mic and I can share <laughs> stories about my love life, right? And so um, she comes in, she leaves, and I told my boss that day, uh, I said, man, like, whoever marries that woman is like the luckiest man on the earth. Like, that's the kind of woman I want to be with. And because I loved her, here's what happened. I was with another girl at the time who was a cool girl. She was a pretty girl. Like, she was a fun girl. We never fought, never argued. She was athletic. I mean, played basketball. Cool relationship. But to me, she wasn't Megan. 
And even if I never had a chance to marry Megan, I knew I didn't need to be with this girl if I knew that she was going to be second to Megan. And so I ended that relationship. And then I began to pursue this lady right here. And she turned me down a couple times. But you guys know the story? What happened? Yeah, we end up on a beach. She sees me with my shirt off. (laughs) And a week later, we're dating. Now, she says it had nothing to do with me taking my shirt off, but it seems like a pretty strange coincidence to me. And so um, we start dating. And then eventually, like, man, I decide, like, I want to marry this girl. I need to buy her a ring, but I didn't have any money. And so you know what I did? I sold my boat. And I sold my guitar. I had a beautiful guitar. It was a 72 Fender Thin Line Telecaster. It was amazing. And, uh, man, I let go of both of them. And I've never regretted it. You know why? Because I love my wife more than I love catching bass. Right? And I love my wife more than I love even playing electric guitar through my blues junior amp, right? And what we need to see is when it comes to Jesus, guys, if you have met him and you love him, there are things that you once held dear to that really they're not as dear to you anymore. And you're willing to let them go. You're willing to, to, to absolutely release those for the sake of following after him. And so here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Listen to me carefully. Though I'm in front of a crowd, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Only you can answer this. What have you let go of in order to follow Jesus? Or maybe another question is this morning is right now, what is the Holy Spirit calling you to let go of in order to follow Jesus? For some of you, maybe it's your budget. You know how Jesus has called you to handle your money. We've spoke on it here. You've read it in the Bible, and you're still saying, no, thank you. Maybe for some of you, it's, unhealthy relationships that you know you should not be in and Jesus has called you to step away from. Maybe for some of you it's your plans. Rather than just saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my future? You're still building up a future for yourself without even ever asking Jesus about what he wants you to do. Maybe for some it's just some sort of secret sin, whether it be pornography or something else that you're, you're clinging to, you're hanging on to, and you know Jesus has called you to let go of it. I don't know what it may be today, but look, the first disciples, we said they dropped everything and they followed Jesus. And we know they weren't perfect, right? As we see them following Jesus, they still made mistakes. There were times they still wanted to go back and cling to other things. But there was a continual process of saying, man, I want to drop these things. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where he is. I want to follow him. And then I want you to notice, this is so important as, as to what it means to be a disciple Following Jesus is not just about you and your own little personal relationship with Jesus, but we also see in verse 10, Jesus calls us to show others how to follow him as well. Right? In, in verse 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. This is the same thing that Matthew records in Matthew 4.19 when Jesus first called his disciples. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, Follow me, Matthew 4.19, and I will make you fishers of men. And then isn't it interesting, if you go back to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, where we started, Jesus starts Matthew 4 and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then you come to Matthew 28 and what do we see? He says, now go and make disciples. Go, make disciples. What you need to see this morning is this, not only is a disciple someone who is willing to submit all of life to Jesus, but listen carefully, a disciple makes disciples. Not only is a disciple someone who's submitting all of life to Jesus, what we see in the scripture is a disciple makes 
disciples. Notice Jesus does not just call us to follow him. He calls us to teach others how to follow him. Notice he doesn't just say, hey, I want you to submit all of life to me. He says, I want you to show others how to submit all of life to me as well. And and this is so important that we get this because, guys, I'm telling you, you're not going to hear this very often, even in Christian circles. Uh, Does any of you remember um, the big program or what do they call it, the... uh, the Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody remember those in like the early 90s and mid-90s? There's a lot of crazy stuff that went on in the early 90s, it seemed like, in mid-90s. And um, the, basically the point of this was literally to get people to come to your church and scare the hell out of them. Like literally, okay? And it was scary. So it's like you would throw this event, there'd be 300 people there, 400 would get saved. Okay, it's like even the pastor's like, I'm going to pray the prayer again. Like, just make sure I'm saved. I don't want to go to hell. It was a scary thing. And we would get excited about it because we'd say, man, 300 people prayed the prayer of salvation. And we would just celebrate that. But listen, guys, listen. I'm not trying to discredit all that. But according to the Bible, we are not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. And disciples don't just say, well, we got them to pray a prayer, didn't we? The end. A disciple says, I am going to pour into the lives of others to show them what it looks like to submit all of life to Jesus. And please hear me, guys. Look right at me. Christian, this is not step B. This is not like, right now I'm a Christian and I just got to knock out like, you know, X, Y, and Z and then I'll make disciples. Like, no, if you're a Christian, you're called to make disciples. Period. This is not something that we look and we say, well, you know, Jared, I mean, I want to make disciples, but I still have a past. So I'm hanging on to that past, and when I let go of that, then I'll make disciples. Or, you know, Jared, I still got these certain sins I'm struggling with. Or, you know, Jared, I still don't have all the answers in the scriptures. Jesus says to you this morning, stop making excuses. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple, and disciples are called to make disciples. And just for the record, you're never going to be prepared to do this totally. It's like marriage and parenting, right? The only people who think you can be prepared for marriage and parenting are the people who aren't married and don't have kids, right? You cannot get perfectly prepared for it, and you cannot perfectly get prepared to make disciples. When I first became a Christian 20 years old and God broke into my life, I started a college ministry, but I had no idea that's what it was. I just wanted to to teach other people about Jesus, and I am embarrassed by how little I knew as a 20-year-old about the Bible. I probably taught some false doctrine and didn't even know it. I didn't know anything, but this I knew. Jesus changed my life, and I wanted other people to experience him. And so I walked with them, and I said, okay, I'm going to seek to make disciples. No matter who you are or how you're wired today, look at me, Christian. You're called to make disciples. And so here's my question. Who are you discipling? Who are you currently discipling? And I don't ask you that to heap guilt and shame on you. Listen, guys, again, this is a go and die message. Listen to me. This could be the most loving thing and the most important thing you hear. Maybe the reason some of you are not making disciples is because you have bought into American Christianity but you have not embraced biblical Christianity. Maybe for some of you, it's because you are following a counterfeit Jesus of your head rather than the real resurrected King Jesus that we find in Scripture. 
it doesn't get any more clear than this. Jesus says, those who are my disciples are called to go and make disciples. And if you're sitting here this morning and you say, man, I want to know how, I'm not, but I want to know, that's a good, that's good, that's a good sign the Spirit's working in you. And so maybe you sit here and you say, okay, I really do, I want to make disciples, but how specifically am I supposed to do this? And what I would just say is this, there's a lot of different books you can read on how to make disciples. For us, whenever we started the church, we said probably the best person to uh, learn from is Jesus. And so let's just go to the scripture and let's find out how Jesus made disciples. Okay? And so here's what we have learned from looking at the life of Christ. I'm just going to try to be super practical with you this morning because this is such an important piece for our church. If we are called to make disciples, we believe that it must happen in the context of kind of three different areas. We must make disciples in the context of life on life, life in community, and life on mission. Life on life, life in community, and life on mission. What I hope you see here before you walk away is this is not just something the pastor said, oh, that'd be cute, all sorts of life, like, that'd work, like, this is what we see in Scripture, okay? First, let's talk about life on life. If being a disciple means submitting all of life to Jesus, don't you think it's important that we show people what it looks like to submit all of life to Jesus? Does it make sense? Um, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't just say, okay, I'm going to meet with you guys for 30 minutes a week, and then we'll call it a week. That's discipleship. Jesus did not do that, right? And he doesn't call us to do the same thing. He calls us to get involved in the lives of other people and allow them to be involved in our lives. So what this means for me and my wife is, is what we have done throughout the years is we just pray for the Spirit to lay people on our hearts that we can intentionally pour into beyond just the Sunday morning. We pray for those who are non-Christians that we can pour into because I believe that you can begin to disciple people before they are even true followers of Christ. And then we pray for people who claim to be Christians that we can pour into. And so for us, this is what this just means for us. We open up our home to certain people more often than maybe we do others. We, we have a meal together. Right? I let, them to, I let them into my life to see what my marriage looks like and how the gospel's been impacted by my, or how the gospel impacts my marriage. I let them see how the gospel impacts my parenting. I'm willing to open up and show them my finances and how the gospel impacts my finances. I, I, I dive into scripture with them, not just to get them in the scripture, but my hope is to get the scripture into them and to watch their lives, and to see, hey, this is areas where, where you are applying, and great job, here's encouragement, and then maybe here's some areas where you're still not believing the gospel, and I want to speak into it, right? These are guys that I just enjoy life with. We talk about basketball and, and, and football or whatever else. We just do life together, and I'm showing them how I've tried to view all of life with the gospel intentionality. That's life on life. We don't just believe, though, that discipleship happens in life on life. We also believe that it happens in life in community. The reason it's important for us to make disciples in community is because if I try to disciple, you know, you one-on-one, you're going to look more like me than you look like Jesus. Because Jared Pickney, as many of you know, is not a perfect representation of Jesus. The church in the Bible is called the body of Christ. I am not the body of Christ. And so if I want other people to be a, a representation of Christ, I want to pull them in community where they can see people with other gifts and other personalities, right? 
Jesus did the same thing. Like whenever he called people to follow him, he didn't just say, okay, like John, you follow me on Monday, you're on Tuesday, you're Wednesday, you're Thursday. No, he said, we're all going to be in this together. And I know, like guys, again, this rubs against American Christianity, doesn't it? Because what does American Christianity teach? My relationship with Jesus is personal. My finances is none of your business. My marriage is none of your business. My devotional life is none of your business. It's just me and Jesus. And guys, this is just not what we see in the scripture. In Acts chapter 2, as we looked at last week, we are seeing a church that it says had everything in common. This means their lives were open books. They did not hide or hoard anything. They lived in community. They believed that because of Jesus, they were truly brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're talking about making disciples in the context of life in community. And the thing that I want us to see is simply this. As Christians, as disciples who are called to make disciples, it must happen in the context of community. It, it must. And so for us, I mean, this is what we see Jesus do himself. And so as a church, when we started, some of you have asked this before, why do we not have tons of programs? Why do we not have a Sunday night service? Why do we not have a, a midweek service on Wednesday nights, which a lot of churches do? And for us, we believe it's important that we free you up to be able to get plugged into a missional community, to be able to eat meals together, to celebrate together, to serve alongside each other, to be able to hear each other's stories and enjoy life together. This is something that you cannot do if we are busying you to death with tons of programs. And so we try to free you up and encourage you, right, to get involved into community. And I'll say this, as someone who has been to seminary, that has a master's in the Bible, who has read lots of books, who has listened to lots of sermons, nothing has grown me more like being in community. And if you are not living that way, listen, there is no guilt, there is no shame. If you're not involved in a missional community, we're not going to come in here and beat you over the head, right? But every week, we are simply going to invite you. Every week, we're going to open our arms and say, man, we would love for you to get involved in community. Not just because we think you need another buddy, but because we believe that in order for us to mature, in order for us to experience the life Christ has called us to, it happens in the context of community. The third thing I would just say is this, just trying to be practical this morning, is if we're going to make disciples, it doesn't just happen in life on life and life in community, but it happens in life on mission. When Jesus made disciples, he didn't just say, hey, this is how you serve people, this is how you love people. He showed them this is how you serve people and this is how you love people. Jesus didn't just say, hey, here's how you minister to people who are far from God. He showed them how to minister to people who were far from God. And the same is true for us. We learn when we live together life on mission. And the great thing about living on mission is, one, it makes us dependent on the Holy Spirit. And two, it reveals to us that we need Jesus as much as the people we're ministering to need Jesus. It is very easy for us, isn't it, to come to a setting like this and intellectually agree and say, yes, I want to be compassionate. Yes, I want to love people who are not like me. Yes, I'm okay with mess. But it's totally different to actually begin to show compassion, isn't it? It's totally different to actually begin to love people who aren't like us. It's totally different to actually get involved in the mess. It's totally different to actually begin to pursue people, and to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And the great thing about mission is it reveals areas in our heart where we still are struggling to believe the truth about the gospel. That is why every missional community that we have has a specific mission focus. Every missional community, whether that be Labor Park, whether that be feeding, 
whether that be youth sports, all of us are going to be seeking to live on mission together because this is what we see Jesus do in the context of discipleship. So again, to recap, a disciple, a disciple is someone who is willing to submit all of life to Jesus. And disciples make disciples. A disciple is someone who's willing to submit all of life to Jesus and disciples make disciples. And we believe as a church that discipleship happens in the context of life on life, life in community, and life on mission. Now, I told you this was going to be a, a tough message this morning, right? And I can tell you even by looking at you. Like there's some days it's just like everyone's engaged and we love it, and there's other days you look and everyone's like, huh. You know, right? It's just a, this, is a, this is a go and die type message. And so let me try to end with a little bit of encouragement this morning for you before you head out of here and just be like, well, I learned today that I suck at the mission and the end, right? Let me give you a little encouragement because I know we all need it. I need it. First thing I want to encourage you with this morning is to realize is that discipleship is a slow process. It is a slow process. Jesus spent like every minute of the day for three years with his disciples. And if you watch, they were still like blowing it left and right. All right? It took Jesus three years to make disciples. And it took them three years, think about this on the other side, to be discipled by Jesus. All right? And it still wasn't perfect. It was still messy. I just want you to know, there are times whenever you follow Jesus and you try to get others to follow Jesus, you're going to feel like an idiot. You are. Like, there are times I look in my life, like I became a Christian when I was 20, and sometimes I feel like I know less now than I did then. There are times whenever you follow Jesus, and you invite others to do the same, and you try to disciple where you are going to get frustrated and wonder, like, why do they not get it yet? Well, the same reason you don't get it yet. There's going to be times where you're going to feel like quitting, times where you're going to feel like you're making so little progress. And in those times, I want you to know you are not alone. Discipleship is a slow process. And though people can become disciples overnight, it takes a lifetime to become like Jesus. And so just know, right? If you're not where you hoped you'd be by now, or the person you're discipling is not where you hope they'd be right by now, be patient and just know that it takes time. It takes time, okay? No one's expecting you to do this. Like, next week, it's over, disciple out, like next disciple, right? It's not expected. Second thing I want to encourage you with is this. The mission of making disciples rests ultimately in Jesus' authority, not your ability. Making disciples rests ultimately in Jesus' authority, not your ability. Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then look in verse 20. And he says, And behold, I will be with you always to the end of age. Jesus says, I have all authority. And guess what? When you go out and make disciples, I'm going to be with you there. And then if you fast forward to Acts, we see that. Before he sent out the early church, he said, look, before you do anything, especially you, Peter, because you'll blow everything, right? Like, wait, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, then you will be empowered for my mission. Aren't you thankful to know today that this mission of making disciples it is something that we can never do in our power, but we don't have to. It's something we get to do in the power of God. And I think this is why, by the way, I don't think this is a stretch, but in Luke 5, I think it's why whenever Jesus called the disciples to follow him, you see that whole incident with the fish? You ever wonder, like, what's that all about? Like, Jesus says, hey, you're not really catching anything on this side, so throw your nets over here, and then they bring in this tons, like, just tons and tons of fish. I think Jesus is wanting to make it clear, just as I have authority over a fish of the sea, I have authority over the people in the world. 
And so when I tell you to go and try to catch, you go and know what's going to happen in my power. So what that means is, look, guys, look at me. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. It doesn't matter if you don't speak well. It doesn't matter if you don't know tons of biblical knowledge. It doesn't matter even if you've only been a Christian for three months. We have been given all the power and all of the authority that we need to make disciples. That's encouraging this morning. Another thing I would just share, and lastly, is this. Following Jesus will cost you, but the reward will outweigh the cost. Following Jesus is going to cost you something, but I promise you the reward will outweigh the cost. In Matthew chapter 16, do we have that? Jesus told his disciples this. This is the real Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. By the way, that's a torture device. That means you've got to be willing to die to your plans, die to your self-ambition, die to self, right? Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What I want you to hear this morning as we end is this. When you follow Jesus, you will be given up a lot. But when you choose not to follow Jesus, you will be given up far more. When you choose to follow Jesus, you will be given up a lot. But when you choose not to follow Jesus, you will be given up far more. I know that whenever I was in a band, um, 20 years old, like a Christian rock band, and uh, we had a blast um, had someone even come here uh, a few weeks ago and was like, hey, I think I know you. You used to be the lead singer of the Willowford Project. And I was like, well, yes, I did, actually. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. I remember our drummer, who actually has made it big time now, he just finished a tour with Hunter Hayes, and he also did CeeLo, which is like, that's like, how do you go from CeeLo to Hunter Hayes? I don't know. But anyways, he's... Uh, um, anyways, he, he's made a career out of it. And I remember sitting down with him one time, and he said, hey, man, like, we should like really pursue this thing. Like we should start touring, we should practice a lot more, we should try to, to, to make this a big deal. And it was around the same time that I began to believe the Spirit was calling me into vocational ministry. And I had a, a, a dilemma in that moment. What do I want to do? Do I want to follow my dream, right? Me and Jesus on the Rolling Stone magazine, right? Or do I want to follow Jesus' calling on my life? And in that moment, I knew that I had to step aside from the band in order to follow what Christ was calling me to. And I look back at that, and I think, man, what would have happened if I would have went on tour with these guys, right? I mean, yeah, we'd probably been huge, obviously, right? Um, had some fun touring together. But, you know, like, I really believe I would have missed out on so much more. I mean, I wouldn't have planted a church, I know that, and wouldn't have seen God change so many lives through this church. And more than that, if I would have said no to Jesus' calling on my life, guess who ultimately I'm saying no to? To Jesus, who himself said in John 10, 10, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. I want you to listen to me carefully. We're about done this morning. Some of you in here right now are not experiencing an unshakable joy that comes from Jesus' presence because you are not committed to Jesus' purpose. And that purpose, he said, is to go and make disciples. Maybe for some of you in here, the reason you're not making disciples is the truth is you're not a disciple. 
And the reason maybe you're not a disciple is because, like me, I grew up in the church. My dad was a preacher. Though I wanted to give Jesus my afterlife, I did not give him this life. I did not believe he could satisfy me. I did not really believe he was enough for me. And so I wanted him for fire insurance, but I did not make him the Lord of my life. And the reality is, if Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Lord Jesus says, follow after me. Be willing to let go of your comforts. Be willing to let go of your reputation. Trust that I am better than the things of the world. Yes, when you follow Jesus, you will be given up a lot. But guys, if we choose not to follow him, we are given up so much more. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we will understand, man, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how many years you've wasted. You can follow Jesus as you are. Stop holding so tightly to things, guys, that are going to be in a junkyard or a graveyard a hundred years from now. And go to the one who said, I'm going to go for you. I'm going to leave a perfect place in heaven, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to live a perfect life that you could never live, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God. I'm going to die a death that you deserve to die for your sins, and then I'm going to raise from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that you can stand before God, now holy, blameless, and accepted, so that you can experience forgiveness and freedom, salvation and satisfaction that is only found in Him. I pray you experience that today, and then out of great joy, You will go and you will make disciples for the good of the city, for the good of the world, and ultimately for the glory of God. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. As our band comes forward and those who are going to be preparing communion, let's pray together one more time. Father, I do thank you so much for each person who is here today. I know that this is a heavy message. I know this is even a message this week, I have not wanted to preach because of my own fear of man, my own desire to want to be liked, my own desire to make people laugh and, and for people to, to enjoy this experience. But Father, I really do believe that you're better than anything this world has to offer. And I pray that right now, through the power of your Spirit, that you will move in the lives that these are here, that you will help them to see you as you really are. I pray for the one that maybe has religion but does not have a relationship with you, maybe for the one who, who is still clinging to certain things, I pray that if nothing else through this message that you will, through your spirit, allow someone to step away from something they have been holding on dear to a counterfeit joy that will never give them what you have promised and that they will follow after you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.